0: but it bothers me when people refer to... Groupies
1: as selfies? Hey, come over here and take a selfie. That's a groupie.
0: Take a selfie of me. (laughs) Oh, I don't care about the groupies part because you're still kind of (laughs) like taking a picture of yourself, right? But if someone just takes a picture of you, it's just a picture. It's not a selfie. It's a
1: portrait. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: Let's do it. I'm just going to start
1: with the hit list this week. But uh, tell me about what you're going to talk about later. Oh, we're going to talk about uh, digital cameras and digital camera sensors and lenses, depth of field, optics. I don't know. Bunch of interesting stuff. I've been shopping for a new camera. The first thing I got the note says, Nerd Kids.
0: I was at a barbecue, and uh, there was a guy there who was talking about his 11 year old kid and how super into commercial jetliners he is interesting he has but but here's the thing he has like 2000 instagram followers <laughs> that are all his plane buddies he has literally hundreds of friends that he like plays minecraft with that he Hangs out in chat rooms and talks to about fucking planes.
1: <laughs> Did you say specifically commercial airlines? Co-
0: yeah, commercial jet. Liners. Is that part of his like his not even fetish? the stuff
1: we were briefly into, like fighter jets and stuff? Like the big
0: bulbous kind of
1: slow moving, not particularly maneuverable, like the new Airbus. I mean, I understand why he's obsessed with that. They're fucking incredible.
0: No, I completely understand. But it just it made me think like there was a period in my life where if I had found the right group of friends like to tell me it was cool that i there are so many things that i would have maybe like i'd probably be a rocket engineer right now
1: i was so into space (laughs) at that age but i didn't have
0: anyone around me that was like yeah you're right that is pretty cool
1: yeah it's it brings up an interesting uh question of how much do the people around you really shape who you are it's pretty much everything i mean it's your feedback it's your mirror on life hey man i found this cool picture of a plane do you think it's cool no man (laughs) let's listen to this nirvana cd (laughs) okay so this is perfect
0: speaking of things that were cool right when we were grown up uh the next thing on list says skateboard tricks i was watching the x games which at this point I know no idea when they aired. I was watching it on YouTube and it just occurred to me that they are a giant spectacle now. Like they're held in the parking lot of the Staples center and 20,000 people show up to watch it. It's this giant spectacle where there's this nomenclature that is associated with this sport that was so clearly made up by a bunch of stone doofuses <laughs> landing weird tricks
1: and then going, I'm going to call it a roast beef. <laughs> It's nice to see the right? sport stick to its heritage like that.
0: And now and now you watch NBC and like if you know, Bryant Gumble is talking about a guy landing a faky switch, roast beef, whatever <laughs> with, you know, with extra cheese. Roast beef pizza guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I feel like that's just language,
1: right? Like in thirty years, is that gonna be a weird thing? Maybe it will only refer to the skateboard trick in 20 years, and it will no longer refer to the meat product, because we'll no longer be eating meat. And then people will think it's weird if you bring up roast beef sandwiches. They're like, that old dude doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. No, they'll know, but from Wikipedia. So it'll be like, you'll look it up, and the disambiguation will be
0: roast beef uh historic meal and roast beef skateboard trick roast, roast beef redirects to uh skateboard trick which one of those do you think will still be in use if you're interested in sandwiches you have to go to the
1: disambiguation page
0: so you know like what for us right now is that kind of information like that you think was a silly name however many years ago and
1: now it's just standard oh, interesting <laughs> you know like everything's got to start that way somehow yeah, for sure. every every new thing that comes into existence i mean i just tend to feel like roast beef is stupid <laughs> like it's a
0: stupid name for a performance element but then i'm like what kind of name is a sow cow or whatever that you know there's like weird names
1: in ice skating sow cow could mean something very specific in another language roast beef means like a slice of (laughs) wiggly cooked meat. (laughs) So it's just weird. It doesn't (laughs) reference the skateboard at all. And the only way it could have been the name is if some stoned dude was chowing on a roast beef sandwich like when his buddy landed that trick.
0: What are you going to call that, bro? Dude, Jeffrey
1: just spit out his roast beef, man. (laughs) That trick was rad. The funny thing is I honestly have no idea if there is actually
0: a... Trick called the roast beef. I know it wasn't <laughs> Tony Hawk, where they do physically impossible tricks. <laughs> it wasn't Tony Hawk, it's probably fact, okay, so uh i'm gonna do I'm gonna use the last slot in the hit list to uh segue into the cameras that we promised to talk about before, like what's a good camera to get or how you ended up buying your camera, but all the way back at like what is design to you or That might be too broad a question, but more like when we're talking about problem solving, like what's, what's that process?
1: Uh, You're talking about identifying a, an issue or a problem or a process that you want to change and often it's associated with improving it.
0: And so here's the thing early on in the process of human, uh, you know, humans designing their environment, right? All the problems that had to be solved are bigger things like right like you can't be away from water for more than two days without dying so we need to find a way to carry
1: water right (laughs) we need to get the water out of the stream and away from the bears right and take it back to the safety of our cave and you,
0: you know until bears don't carry water bottles so they are still limited by this problem
1: that we were able to solve. <laughs> they do sometimes carry picnic baskets, though. So you'd think they would have made the connection and invented the cup. So,
0: so then, so I mean, like, so, so run it through the design process, right? So then somebody was like, this, see this thing I've fashioned out of wood, call it a cup. And there we go. We're back to the roast beef, right? Somebody had to name that shit <laughs> a cup. It can pick up some water and it can come with us, right? But it's not so good at it because if you. If you jostle, the, the water comes out. The cup. Of the cup. <laughs> so they took a rock yes. and they plugged the hole in the top. And they were like, look what I have. <laughs> water, A water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> now we're where we are today. And so when they're selling you a new feature on a tech gadget, they're selling you a, a new problem solved. Maybe one you didn't even know you had like you hear a lot of marketing stuff, you know, like megapixels, whatever. But like I feel like with a lot of technologies, we've hit a point where the change that any company is trying to sell you in any given model is probably incremental and not that important. So I'm consistently interested in the, where the uh... bottleneck is. Where can you get the most improvement in something that you use for the for the for the least?
1: That's a really interesting way to look at uh, acquiring any new product is what are the aspects that what, what's the thing you're trying to solve and then what are the aspects of that that the products solve or address and then which ones are you actually getting a bang for the buck right
0: right like they'll talk to you about megapixels all day because that's a number that sounds fancy oh a higher number must be better but there's some point where you don't need that many megapixels because you're not blowing your picture up to the size of the side of a building.
1: But all the nice new expensive cameras have 36. The, uh, the interesting thought that I had while, while we were just bringing this up is what is the camera trying to accomplish? What are all these technologies trying to do? And it seems like, and I think you can abstract this to almost everything you're trying to reproduce a bit of reality. That cup, that initial analogy is the cup is trying to reproduce the river inside of your cave. I want to take the river and take it inside somewhere else and reproduce that reality. I'm capturing the water. And the resolution with which you're capturing that water is 100%. You're getting the water that was in the stream and you're taking some somewhere else. But we've also had to sacrifice things. We, we only... We only reproduced the reality as much as we needed it. We needed the physical molecules of water to consume, but what we lost was were more abstract things like the sound of the rushing water, the beautiful scene surrounding the river, the organisms living in the water. We don't want the organisms living in the water, though.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> we don't want some of them I wouldn't... we've taken out of it. We took the water. We realized, oh, these other <laughs> things are coming with us. That's not cool. So we found a way to we don't get want those them out or just kill them so you can just you know consume their they're dead or just box. pretend like they're not there so cameras so let's just let's yes. do it let's do cameras i love cameras um, so what's interesting to me yeah it it's an effort what cameras do is capture a moment and sort of in essence a, a memory and that's why there's pictures are so valuable to people um mm-hmm. we're to a point in mass problem solving where what's really important to the masses is the ability to like capture and store, you know, these memories that you want to be able to look back at later. But the same as we're trying to, what did you say? Reproduce the water? Reproduce reality. Capture, reproduce reality. Like photography, I feel like takes a hit. I feel like it's not regarded as, as, as high an art form as like painting you know right but because photographs were um just capturing something that was happening versus completely imagining it from nothing or using right. a really complicated process to capture that reality like painting a portrait yeah. um then you know so it doesn't get as much cred as like oh that's high art
1: yeah i've, I've always felt the same way you don't have to as a photographer master the reproduction step so much um you just have to capture the moment on film although you could argue against that in today's age because if you look at modern photography there's a huge artistic component it's all done digitally um but yeah i've always i've always kind of agreed you have to master all the basics of art um like uh like color and contrast and brightness and layout and cropping composition and yeah composition you um, have to master all those things but once you get that you can take good pictures if you just mastered those and then go try to paint an oil painting it'll just look like a kid with finger paints right even though even though your uh, your pieces are proportionate so and in the right the perspective skill and,
0: is more a manipulation of technology than a like a I mean, I guess a paintbrush is a manipulation of technology, but like...
1: <laughs> for sure. It for know. sure is. Um, that guy with the cup didn't have a paintbrush for but millennia it's, after he had a There's a cup. much
0: more skillful and difficult thing that you're doing with the paintbrush to create that reproduction. Uh, but the camera takes that out by sort of promising you that what you're looking at is reality. And so now you can manipulate
1: that. Yeah, I think photography, a lot of people... I remember we went through the transition of film to digital I mean, we were in the heat of learning photography. We had been, I'd been practicing and taking photography classes for three, for four years. It was right at, right in our senior year that digital cameras really started to be a serious thing. And we had a scanner at school. And I remember that thought. I was like, well, what's going to happen here? We're going to lose the dark room. We're going to lose all this artistic production. I personally think photography has gained a ton from going to digital. There's so much opportunity for new media to be produced digitally with photography to be honest the darkroom was an interesting experience but what a fucking waste of time you spent all goddamn day to to burn the corner of a photo you can do the same thing in two seconds now in photoshop yeah
0: but like what's interesting about it is because i went back recently and well just to give a bit of background first and then i'll go into what i was gonna say um yeah brian and i have taken uh photography and then just pictures together for something like somewhere 15? between seven and fifteen. Okay. So you know, I don't know, seventeen <laughs> I don't know. years or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Fifteen. We were real serious about it in high school, um, for sure. And back then there was no and digital even, photography, so we right. the cheapest even in college, way to do though, it, wasn't really. Yeah. So the cheapest way to do it was to buy shitloads of bulk black and white that we could develop ourselves in school dark room where they paid for chemicals
1: <laughs> <laughs> kodak trimax 400 was that the film yeah man t max and trimax t max 400 um, trimax Tri-X, is expensive color color.
0: yeah try it um but so T-backs. i have had like 12 of those rolls just hanging around ever since then and so i finally shot them all at the shoot and it was really cool but what it made me realize is what you're talking about in the d- dark room that you're like that's unnecessary and ridiculous is like in order to achieve certain things within our picture, which was usually just like, you can't see that guy's face, right? Right. It's like, it was usually like something to do with the story you were trying to tell with the picture, but you were actually going in and pushing molecules around the same way a painter does. for sure. You were basically. So
1: you've been (laughs) shopping for a new digital camera, the first one that you bought in. The only digital camera I have ever bought, actually. Uh, You gave me a nice digital camera years ago (laughs) and my grandfather gave me a little point and shoot like five years before that. So I've never purchased a digital camera myself. Nor have I really owned an SLR camera or a nice camera in probably a decade and that I've used. Uh, this is
0: something I appreciate about you generally, and you've done it your whole life. Um, I shop for things like just enough to make sure that like the few products that fall on the price scale <laughs> above and below are not superior enough <laughs> or, you know, shitty, like and you, you, research things before you buy them with an admirable depth
1: <laughs> I've really gone <laughs> into some depth on on digital cameras I've can... gone crazy on cameras <laughs> so we have to talk about it there's a lot going on there's a lot of science behind uh right so digital this is cameras where these start. days
0: okay so film wh- you so the point is what you're trying to do is capture an image right that mm-hmm. uh, you can see which means you're trying to create something that's gonna bounce photons toward your eye in
1: the right pattern <laughs>
0: to recreate <laughs> to recreate a piece of reality, right?
1: Yeah, you're um, reproducing reality on a flat thing that you can look at and pass around and right. push on the internet.
0: Exactly. Okay. So what film the way film worked, there's a coating of I think silver oxide on on a cellulite strip and that molecule reorients itself when light hits it. Um, And then you can, once it's reoriented, you can wash away any that aren't so that weren't touched by light. And then you have a negative where Mm. there's dark space everywhere that this film was hit by light. And then when you do that same process again onto another sheet coated with the same basic chemical, you know, in different composition, you create a positive of a larger size that bounces photons back at your eyes in a way that tricks your brain into seeing <laughs> that thing that was there before, right? So that's really inefficient because all those chemicals are super noxious. Like, <laughs> you know how many pairs of pants I have with handprint stop stains <laughs> on them? Like, there's two chemicals from that process that are like, if you drink it, you'll die. Breathing, it's not so bad, but you really don't want to do it (laughs) like it's necessary.
1: And you especially don't want to wipe your hands on your pleated khakis.
0: Yes. And one, (laughs) it will just destroy any garment that you wipe your hand on it. it, And it creates this yellow, it's like coffee ejaculate. (laughs) It really makes your pants unwearable. So digital cameras, right? So talk to me about sensors. The sensor is capturing protons photons
1: yes yeah, so you essentially have <clears throat> sensors essentially have a bunch of little we think of them as pixels you think of the pixels megapixels on a sensor and each of those little pixels over the period of time that you're taking a picture you expose the picture kind of like the film it basically measures how many photons are hitting each pixel and so when a photon hits a pixel it generates an electrical charge and then your system reads that electrical charge from every pixel uh, and then that information is sent over to a processor Um, And it reproduces an image. Uh, And I'm talking specifically about CMOS sensors, which is just the the type of digital sensor that's in most digital cameras these days. Um, The other type is CCD. It's sort of a different technology, um, but it's being replaced by CMOS. Uh, Basically, it reads red, green, and blue, which I think is the same as CCD. We read red, green, and blue. Um, And so from those colors, you can kind of interpolate all wavelengths of light and wavelengths of light make up color so on a CMOS sensor you have red green and blue pixels and so essentially when you're measuring the amount of light hitting a pixel that measurement of amount of light gives you brightness and then you also have a red green and blue filter essentially on those pixels and so you block all the other light and so you measure not only the amount of light but then a pixel that has a red filter on it only gets red pixel has green only gets green and a pixel has blue only has blue and so you you actually interpolate each pixel you don't actually just measure that pixel you get you get purely an amount of light from each pixel and then your processor later looks at all that data and says oh so this pixel had a couple greens around it a couple blues here are all the levels let me mix those levels kind of like a kid would with three colors of paint let me mix them together and figure out what color i think that pixel looked um based on the light that was measured in that area so when you're talking about how many megapixels
0: are in a sensor.
1: Wait, mega is mil million? Mega is a million. Yeah. So, mega is a million. So a 10 megapixel, if a 10 megapixel sensor was square, it would be, what, 10,000 by 10,000? A thousand by a thousand.
0: And so this is the thing about film versus digital, right? So that granularity that you just talked about, like how small a right. pixel is, is essentially what we're trying to catch up to at least the the you know f- uh, film the level of resolution on right. that is m- like molecular you're talking about this chem yeah. like silver oxide atoms or molecules what's the estimated megapixel density of like a 35 millimeter
1: negative i'm pretty sure that our cmos Sensors are better than film now.
0: So the pixels are actually smaller at this point than a molecule of silver mm, oxide.
1: I'm not sure that. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm s- I'm certain that film does not resolve down to the molecular level. It's like clumps of silver oxide that is resolving, because um, you can see the grain, and you can't. You could blow up molecules. Right. Uh, thousands and thousands of times and you're not going to be able to see the molecule. So it definitely isn't quite to that level of resolution, but so um, then
0: it's very well it's very well possible that when people say film feels different, it could be 100% reproduced by a filter at this point that just applied some sort of like randomized fractal filter in order to clump pixels in a yeah. photo and you really could reproduce exactly what film
1: would yeah, look like. You know like. Lightroom Because I've tried to do that with my pictures in Photoshop in the past. And I've struggled with it by like adding noise and mixing it up. It always looks digitized. But but, but Lightroom, which I just started playing with recently, like a month ago, has a grain feature that is very specifically there just to make digital look like film. And it does a spectacular job. Like it just it just looks it's funny. I can I can do all the settings running down the side of Lightroom to take all the grain out of a photo and then you get to a grain section. And you just put them back in and it's like, oh, I totally cleared it up. Now I'm going to make it look like film. So you like remove the digital dirt to put the film dirt back in. That's one of the most popular things I do on videos. People are like,
0: oh man, it looks good. And put some grain on there.
1: <laughs> well, draw, Well, one of the things it does is it draws attention to the viewer that this is an alternate reality. And you re- when you reproduce something, I mean, you take a photo with an iPhone these days. The screens are such high resolution that your eyes can't see the pixels anymore. And the cameras are doing such a good job that I'm not sure your eyes can resolve the difference. So you're physically looking at something that it is a reproduction of reality that you you physically can't tell the difference with your eye. And it sucks sometimes. I want to look green. So
0: the reason I bring up megapixels is because that's the biggest thing I feel like they say, yeah. well, now it's up to 12 megapixels like the problem with a phone camera is you have to like the sensor has to be really small
1: the other big thing to think about with megapixels and sensor quality and resolution is the size of the sensor i can have a the sensor inside of your phone i think roughly you can think of as like the size of your pinky finger now i might be off by a little bit here but that's a good approximation and the sense the size of a sensor in a good digital camera uh, is the size of an old piece of 35 millimeter film, which I don't know, what is that? A couple postage stamps. So it's, it's huge. It's significant. It's like 20 times the area. And so what you get is if you have 10 megapixels in your phone in the size of your pinky, and then 10 megapixels in the size of a camera, each of your pixels actually captures more light. And so you get higher resolution in terms of how much light was in that pixel, how accurate is the color reproduction, how accurate is the sensitivity, how much how how good a picture can you take in lower quality light? Because um, you're cat, you're physically getting more information in the same period of time. So there are a lot of benefits. So realistically, you need to know megapixels and the size of the sensor um, to to really get a good comparison. Just megapixels by themselves is is almost meaningless. So then, talk to me about lenses. Because the thing that I always used
0: to say to people is that you like the biggest possible improvement you can make past figuring out the sensor size thing is. Uh, sweet
1: glass. I would I would argue that the sensor is less important than the lens. And I'm only recently coming into that knowledge and experience and purchased some good lenses recently.
0: Um, Apple is sort of trying to sell us the lens these days. You know, they talk about it in their presentations. But I still feel like megapixels is what the general public talks right.
1: about. Well, what they need to do then is come up with a word that is as cool as megapixel so that people can talk about uh, mega clarity of the lens and say, my lens has 42 mega clarity and your lens only has 12 mega clarity. And then consumers can brandish that around as they take pictures and post them on the internet.
0: So what you're talking about when you like, I have my baby, my 85 millimeter prime lens. Yes. Was probably like 900 bucks. 1.8 1.4 yeah and absolutely worth it the pictures look so so amazing
1: why but why is that why does that lens cost so much great question so a couple reasons one of the reasons that lens costs so much is because it has a really wide aperture which means that you can basically that's the hole that lets light into the camera and so in the process of allowing a really big hole to let light in, you have to make a much bigger lens. And so if you look at expensive lenses, they're much bigger on the front end. They just look big. And that literally is just because they have to be bigger to let more light in. And that does a bunch of things that gets into a bunch of things like depth of field. And, uh, but right now, where does
0: the money come from? Right. Like just cause literally they have to take a piece of, super expensive glass grinding manufacturing and they have to grind it into this very specific pad you know
1: shape it's, yeah it's making it's making a lens instead of making a lens that's an inch across and grinding it to perfection an inch across they have to grind it a couple inches across and so it's literally i think it's it's mostly a manufacturing cost it's the manufacturing cost to make a lens of a quality level um and i would imagine with lenses that you're talking uh aerospace quality so you're talking tens of thousands of inches um, maybe more than that in optics i've never actually looked at the standards that optics are held to but i mean your modern lenses i think are an incredible uh, manufacturing accomplishment A, a lens like a zoom lens that comes on a standard camera that you buy at slr and you have those big zoom lenses that go like 28 to 300 millimeters those things have like 15 or 20 lenses in them and if those lenses aren't ground like i mean absolute perfection like tens of thousands of times skinnier than your than a human hair you're they're just going to be shit you're going to get nothing out of them so the fact you that you just get something like that for a couple hundred bucks and zoom and like zoom into infinity and see a cheetah running across the fucking savannah is un- unbelievable
0: talk to me about aperture so
1: my understanding of
0: aperture is it's the size of the hole through which you know light is being channeled so shutter speed is an easy one to conceptualize, right? Mm-hmm. The thing flips open, it closes, it's on a timed, yep. you know, like how long it stays open is controlled by shutter speed. Yep. Uh, it's easy to imagine how that controls light going yep. into and out of. Or
1: in a, uh, in a modern sense with sensors, you just turn it on or you receive data for a period of time as opposed to needing a shutter to go over it. So the aperture is a hole in the
0: lens where you can manipulate the amount of light that's coming through the lens mm-hmm. by making the hole bigger or smaller. Yes. Right? And so, aperture relates to something called depth of field, mm-hmm. which is where this stuff starts to get tricky. Gets really it's tricky. it's worth understanding, because here's the thing. Everybody loves depth There's of field. There's no easier way to make a <laughs> f- picture really sexy and to understand depth of field yeah and, and to then talk it.
1: about it and that makes you and the picture sexy <laughs> at least to you and me <laughs> so let's do it so depth of field so the way that you affect depth of field uh has to do with
0: so this is why uh earlier he said 1.4 that is the that refers to the gauge of the hole in the lens the lower that number the better and the more expensive the lens but it results in depth of field effects that are so sexy, <laughs> right? So I mean, that's what you're, so sexy. That's
1: you said that really well. That's what you're. <clears throat> that's what you're paying so, for. So sexy. That's kind of creepy. <clears throat> <laughs> that was that was very weird, Manny. That's not what we want. That's not what I meant. So where does
0: so talk to me about the physics of the lens and where depth of field comes from. So,
1: depth of field, this is a really hard thing to describe without having diagrams to show people. I think you can do it. But <clears throat> the idea I'll, I'll is so essentially, the reason you have a lens, the reason your eye has a lens, the reason a camera has a lens is that you, that whole area of the lens, you're able to capture light from. And so when you look at something, Instead of just getting a point of light from an object that you're trying to take a picture of, the lens allows you to capture light from a bunch of different directions. So think about, imagine you're taking a picture of an orange, right? You just have a table, or you have just an orange floating in space, and you're taking a picture of the orange. Every point on that orange is actually radiating light in every single direction. And so if you had a really tiny lens, imagine a lens the size of a photon, you could only capture one photon in one direction coming off of that orange from one spot of that orange. Now, as you grow that lens, all of a sudden, imagine the light coming off of that orange is a big sphere growing out from away from the orange. And so when you put your lens against that sphere, you're capturing a big set, you're capturing a little circular section of that sphere of light, Uh, you you're capturing a bunch of different angles of light off of every single point of that orange and it's captured in that lens and then what the lens does is it all that light that it captures it refocuses it back onto your film or onto your sensor at a single point so if you imagine like the what's the little nubbin at the end of an orange the little dimple piece at the top where it like connects to the tree if you think of that as like one point on the orange um you actually are capturing say tens of thousands of different photons coming off at slightly different angles from that point your lens captures all of them refocuses them and then you get all of this extra information and so when you do that uh the lens can only focus at a very particular distance and so if you're focused on that little dimple on the orange that means that technically every other point of that orange at a certain distance from your lens will be out of focus
0: and and a certain distance toward your lens. Yes, well.
1: every everything away. So, imagine your lens and then well, so if you think
0: of it as a like a cylinder of light coming that's hitting the lens, right? That cylinder is squashed into a cone. Yeah. The what the focus ring does when you slide it is it moves the lens closer or further away in order to make sure those beams cross yes. and when they, yeah. you know, not beams, but like the, you know, that make sure it crosses when you find a place where, where it crosses is on the sensor. Then your picture is in focus, right? But everywhere that it's out closer to you and further away from you. Then that field yes, is you, it's is not going to be in focus. Exactly. And, right? and in reality, and so that's depth of, and what they call that is depth of field. How wide is that space in which, you're too close, and so we can't see you. You're too right. far away, and so we can't see you. And what happens with depth of field is lenses with higher aperture or like a larger aperture, uh-huh. which is represented by smaller numbers, which is very confusing. <laughs> it's so annoying. Have a bigger hole. Yep. And so you're able to make the surface area comprised of where those two, like the tip of the cone, mm-hmm. you're able to make that larger
1: yes you increase the angle at the top of your cone and so when you have a really tiny aperture when you have like an f22 it's a really tiny hole the cone is very skinny and narrow and long and so the angle say the angle when it's when something's in focus is like five degrees at the top of that cone right when you have a really big aperture all of a sudden the base of that cone is like two inches as opposed to like a millimeter and so all of a sudden your cone the base gets really wide to so the angle at the top gets a lot bigger. So all of a sudden you go from like a 10 degree cone to like a 40 degree cone or something like that. In reality, there's only one specific plane, like the tiniest little plane, like the width of a photon that's technically in focus. But what we do is our, eye can't really perceive it. So when you have that really thin cone, as you move away from the point of it, there's, there's less dispersion of the photons. So you can move like say, uh, 10 inches or 10 feet or whatever along that little cone. And the dispersion that changes from the point to like a spread out little circle of light is less. But when you have a big hole, because that angle is really big, um, as you move further away, the light spreads out much quicker. And so things just get out of focus quicker.
0: So every time you're looking through the lens, you're still seeing you're, the whole you. You are
1: looking at every, every time you look through the lens, every single point that you're seeing in there, the orange, the tree, the atoms of the orange, you're seeing the cone of light from those. But what you were saying is right. What's in focus, you're look if something's in focus, you're looking at the absolute point of that cone of light that's been focused. If it's not in focus, you're looking at a slice of the cone. And that's why you get in really in those in you get those round, blurry things.
0: The way you have to think about it is a cylinder and then there's a cone and then off the other side of that another cone comes off and then there's another cylinder. That where those two things meet kind of represents what's in focus. And on both sides of it, you're going to have this gradient of, as that thing gets wider, things fall out of focus. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if that, if that cross section gets wider faster, like you're cutting
1: up the nose of the cone,
0: mm-hmm. if that gets wider faster, then things are out of focus faster.
1: Yep, exactly. Or out of focus at shorter right? distances from the focal point. Yep, exactly. So then
0: the way depth of field gets so sexy is because that <laughs> means if you... If you can take that little wedge where it's in focus and you get real like close to a, uh, you know, a flower and then everything in front of it will be out of focus, everything behind it will be out of focus Mm -hmm. and you can just get that tiny little two inch wide space in focus. Yeah. And it's really great for focusing attention. It makes images really striking. Incredibly striking. So as you start to try to shrink down this idea that we just described happening in a big fat lens. Like that's still happening on your phone.
1: Yeah, the same. In a sense, the same physics is Less happening. mechanical parts, right. right?
0: The same physics is happening. Yep. The um, same mechanism. But at that level, it's harder to manipulate because that lens has
1: to move back and forth. I don't really know exactly what the mechanisms are that are in your smartphone. I don't know if the aperture is actually changing, or if that's all software based. I feel like this is the last chunk of this software. Right?
0: Like, to what extent can you have? A medium grade lens, a medium grade sensor and killer software and beat out
1: a camera with nicer lenses, a better sensor. It's a really good question. And it, I think it falls back somewhat onto the question of what makes the image better. What is it that you're going for with the software? Um, So there's software is a big part of digital photography um, because your sensor doesn't it's not very smart all it's really doing is saying hey i'm a green sensor and i measured a 5 a on the scale of light or I, a zero, right or right? a, a or 0 to a 256 or probably more likely like a 0 to a it probably has a resolution i would guess like 64,000 i'm just guessing a number right now but 0 to 64,000 on a measurement of how many steps of light intensity can a sensor measure it says hey i'm green and i just measured 35,126 And so it sends that information off. And then the sensor next to it, the pixel next to it says, I'm blue and I just measured 2,220. And so then all of that, that's all your sensor does. Everything from that point on is software. Um, And so then the software uh, takes that information and starts to interpolate and says, oh, okay, so these pixels, it had this intensity and it was this color. And so, oh, there was like a kind of a, Um, aquamarine color in this area and then it'll generate a pixel and so everything after that measurement is interpolated by software so depending on what you're trying to do um, difference the software can just have a tremendous effect Um, the big thing that you see on nice cameras good good digital cameras and professional photographers shoot in raw which means essentially that they get they get that raw information from their sensor, open that up in, in an application like Photoshop or Lightroom, your ability to manipulate the, the lowest level and the most data about the physical scene that you tried to capture is, uh, is at maximum. Whereas your phone very explicitly knows that you're probably gonna take this picture, show it to your friends on a small screen, post the internet at 400 by 300 pixels on Facebook. So it optimizes images for that. It optimizes for the process that it expects you to take with the image it just took so it it dumps a ton of information it, it it compresses the image it converts it to a jpeg it gets rid of a bunch of uh dynamic range on on the pixels it reduces that sixty four thousand sensitivity down to 256 um and so there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens that the software does automatically and in that case in that process the phone's way better it takes it takes you you got to go download it and process it and smart uh, fancy camera sucks if you're just trying to post a selfie on the internet
0: right and so the camera does really well on a phone does really well for most of the things that anybody would want to do and here's the thing that that i think is interesting like our barrier to entry when we started doing Mm -hmm. photography as a you know like as an art form like you had to buy a camera or you had to like you know get your grandfather's old Olympus or something that you could control all these settings on because they had point and shoots by the time we were kids. And that's what most people used that just had a set Mm -hmm. lens, a set focal point, a set aperture, and just would, you know, and take the one picture, move it on. And then you would get those developed and you get your pictures back and they'd mostly be shitty, but would capture a moment. So the phone is really good at processing out elements that are not important to that experience of like capturing these moments, making Mm -hmm. sure they look cool. And the funny thing is that, so the software is now putting extra stuff on there where they're going, well, (laughs) more contrast, a little, you know, that warmer tone that makes. Let's
1: do an Instagram filter.
0: Um, Yeah, and that's totally awesome. So that's, I mean, that's what Instagram, you know, filters do. And they do a lot of reproducing things that you could do with film if you knew what to do. So if you are considering, you're like,
1: oh, I want to get into photography the best thing one thing that got me really excited is when uh I, ios released like a whole bunch of settings inside the camera function now where you can adjust brightness and contrast and tone and saturation um and i think honestly photography is a really cool art medium because and i won't list them because i won't be able to think of them they're like 10 things That if you know like ten basic things, and it's all it's about art and aesthetics in general. You know those ten things, and then you know how to manipulate those settings on a picture. You can do so much. You can be so creative. Your compositions will look amazing. Everything you do with pictures will be ten times better than they are right now. And people might not know why, but when they look at your pictures, they'll be like, "That's a cool picture. That is not just a random selfie out at some weird angle." If you are faced with, you have an
0: iPhone six. And the iPhone, let's skip over the S. Let's make the gap wider. <laughs>
1: you know, iPhone 7 in two years. Because everyone's on one of the upgrade so pads. Could, they never cross.
0: Right, right. <laughs> Don't cross the streams. It's very <laughs> expensive. I'm on the cycle of buying the non-S numbers. If the S comes out, and what they're talking about is how badass the camera is, but it's going to cost me 900 bucks to buy the phone because I'm... My, I can't 900 bucks. because I can't subsidize it with a contract renewal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what a stupid thing to have to talk about. So faced with that decision paying $900, is it better to buy the $900 <laughs> phone or to go get a cheap, you know, like a Nikon point and shoot or maybe a low level SLR with
1: this sweet ass lenses you just talked about? I'm not sure because you've got a lot of other stuff to consider the iphone the iphone so smartphones and in reality let's call smartphones what they are they are cameras we have we have really nice cameras in our pockets that have other features on them but smartphones are cameras these days people spend more time looking at pictures taking pictures editing pictures sharing pictures and they spend talking on the phone texting and texting textable cameras anyway So the smartphones are optimized to take pictures and immediately produce a really high quality version of that reality that you just captured. Whereas really nice digital cameras are designed to capture as much information about that reality you're trying to reproduce and then allow you to manipulate that reality to produce a really good image or some altered version of that reality. And so if you are just trying to take really high quality photos of yourself and your friends, you know, just standard stuff. I don't mean to demean selfies. I love taking selfies. I love posting fun stuff to the internet, but if you're just trying to snap pictures, um, and share them on the internet, you hundred percent just want a smartphone.
0: So I sort of feel like the answer, if your idea is mm-hmm. I want to explore the art side of this, your first move is play with those settings and work on dialing those into a thing that you just think is cool.
1: Yeah, just take a bunch of pictures. Yeah,
0: exactly. Just, I mean, it's the same way that we learned. Totally. It's just take a lot of pictures and then manipulate those with the settings, you know, to start understanding how that piece of it is played with. And then like, basically what I think we've gotten to is you can do everything with your phone that a, Mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote photographer does until you're ready to make the leap to a right. $3,000 camera. And up until that point, like, just don't, don't bother.
1: <laughs> yeah. I would, I would say, all, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here for all, for all the things that I've ever been taught about photography. I think, I think really to get started with photography, start with your phone. Like we were just saying, get into and get into the photo app on your phone. You don't need to go buy one anymore either. If you have iOS, I don't know what Android looks like, but iOS's photo app has like, 25 settings it'll take someone who doesn't know about photography and image editing like days to figure out at least if not weeks play with that stuff and then learn two things two things one is the rule of thirds which essentially defines how to uh do composition for all artistic mediums everything not just photography go look up the rule of thirds and then take one other thing to heart and this is one of ed brown's rules get closer Take a picture, look at it. Oh, that's a great picture. Nope, that picture sucks. Get closer. <laughs> Whatever you're taking a picture of, get closer.
0: And shoot all of those things.
1: Yeah, shoot them all. They're free. Take 50 fucking pictures of your of your goddamn hand. You're going to get an interesting picture. Just play around. It's free. You remember the, the
0: National Geographic photo internship that everyone used to compete for every year? Oh my God, no. Do they still do that? What everyone <laughs> used to talk about is you had an unlimited shooting budget with film to shoot the way that you do with digital on incredibly film incredibly expensive is
1: like they used to a roll of t max 400 which was relatively cheap film was what like five bucks four or five bucks maybe on sale you get it down like something bulk like price that. i used to be buy. i was buying like 24 rolls of time for like three bucks or something cheap ass black and white right. shitty yeah. black and white film and uh and then we developed it ourselves but you had to have a dark room, which we were lucky enough to have at our school. You had to pay for chemicals. If you had a roll of film developed, it was like ten bucks. Photography used to cost like a dollar a picture. It's unbelievable what digital has done for photography and what it's done for the world because we're visual is as, as creatures. So shoot a ton. So shoot
0: a lot. Get cl- the rule of thirds. Get closer. Yeah. Shoot everything. Everything you think of. If it's like, oh, this yeah. is cool here, click this is cool here, click. Oh, from this angle, it's cool, click. Like the, the thing I don't think people understand is if you go out, like the other thing that I think is really valuable and you can do it at any level yeah. is projects. Um, Like come up with a common theme. Um, mm-hmm. People of New York is a great example of a sustained thematic photo project. We used to do, you know, <laughs> like it would be like student life. You know, and you just <laughs> hand in a bunch of half compelling pictures of your friends doing stupid shit in the hallway, right? <laughs> a bunch of stoners
1: doing skateboard tricks and eating uh, roast beef sandwiches.
0: I feel like that's such a perfect callback. <laughs> maybe we should just send this. But so, so the rules for photography were... Rule of thirds. Rule of thirds. Get closer. Get closer. Shoot a ton of pictures. Shoot like crazy and give yourself... Give yourself a goal. I'm going to go to the beach and I'm going to shoot pictures of the water and try to live with a thousand pictures. Maybe not a thousand. Maybe a hundred. And two of them (laughs) will be really cool. So I feel like we, it's not that that's it on photography and cameras, but we should cut ourselves off because we could go forever. (laughs) Um uh, if you guys have any other you know, camera or photography specific questions, we we queued this one up as our second episode because it's probably the thing we both know the most about. <laughs> um, so if you have any other questions, shoot them, shoot them our way, uh, wherever you
1: found us. And, uh, awesome. It. I'm Adam. Thanks for listening. I'm Jones. Stay stoked, everybody. The bros are- why would the bros be angry? We're- So sexy